Welcome to Continuum, the International Business Council podcast, where each episode we sit down with an incredible member of the IBC community, dive in, and learn from their journey. We're very fortunate today to have Caitlin Kramat join us. Caitlin is the founder and president of Dreamcatchers Foundation, as well as author and admired public speaker. Caitlin, welcome to Continuum. Thank you. So happy to be here. Thanks for having me on. Oh, you're more than welcome. I'm personally, selfishly, really looking forward to this conversation today because uh, what I've read about you and heard, it's it's really wonderful, um, eye-opening for me, and I think all of our listeners are really going to enjoy this. So let's get started. Um, So just to kind of kick off, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself, like where you grew up, what prompted you to kind of get into this whole Dreamcatchers Foundation? Um, And then I'm probably going to interject a few other questions as well as you're going. Yeah, that's totally fine. I don't know how off track I'll get talking about my life, but um, I was born and raised in Southern California in Orange County area. And it was when I was about 12 years old that I started volunteering with a local hospice in my community with my older sister who was looking for volunteer opportunities. Uh, just fell in love with hospice, fell in love with the people, fell in love with the mission, with the with what hospice is. And kind of started to see that there weren't a lot of other young people similar in age to me at that time uh, volunteering with hospice or really interacting with these people who, um, as many of you know, if you're on hospice, you're typically given six months or less to live, um, diagnosed with a terminal illness. And and typically older populations are, are on hospice. And I've always had kind of an affinity for spending time with older generations. I love spending time with grandparents, my grandparents, other people's grandparents. I was just kind of always interested in in older people than me. And so around age 15, I, I w- wanted to do something more for these patients and um, came up with the idea for Dreamcatchers after watching a movie and now run it. Um, basically, Dreamcatchers, we we work with students in high school and college to fulfill the end of life dreams of hospice patients and really foster intergenerational connections and relationships. So um, that's that's what Dreamcatchers is. I've I've been running it now since then, and now we're a nationwide organization thanks to a lot of people growing it in their local communities. And now I live in Los Angeles. <laughs> so the other part of your background is. You're a published author. You, you've written a book. You speak, and and does that all tie into Dreamcatchers, or are those all kind of separate entities? Yeah, you know, it really all stemmed from Dreamcatchers. I was about I was in college when I was asked to speak about Dreamcatchers on a at a big conference, and I had never I had spoken on smaller levels before, but not in front of such a large crowd. And I got up there and I spoke and. And someone came up to me after and he was like, you should be a speaker. And I I was like, I didn't even know that was a thing <laughs> or an option. And so I started looking into it, really fell in love with the idea of making this a career and um, how I could how I could really capitalize on that and what areas I was skilled in or had background in. And looking at dream catchers, you know, we work with several different generations. We work in connecting generations. And so that's what led me to write a book on millennials, my generation, working with millennials, and then speaking a lot on the multi-generational workplace and also on dream catchers and kind of um, lately been speaking on what the dying can teach us about living really based on my reflections and experiences 
spending time with people at the end of life and what they can teach us all. So yes, sort of all interrelated and stemming from dream catchers initially. So you just said something just in, in really quickly, but certainly caught my attention, you know, what the dying can teach the living. And, and to me, that's really an intriguing comment statement. And is there anything like you can just kind of quickly, cause I'm sure you could talk for hours about that, but yeah. You know, just give us a little insight as to, you know, that little caption and, and what it means to you and, and what we can learn from that. Yeah, it's been really interesting as I've kind of reflected on dreams that I've personally fulfilled through high school and college and beyond. And then, you know, what some of our student chapters have done in their experiences and and what those people have taught us all. And a lot of that is really really about things like the simplicity of life and appreciating the simple things and and connection, like true connection with people in such an age where we have all these distractions going on. And there's just so many things that kind of bring you back to really what it is to be human, to be a person, to have genuine connections and relationships. Because I think these people, when they're so close to the end, they, you know, they have this unique opportunity to share what they've found is most important and what they're really focused on with such limited time left, which I think is something that we can all learn to focus on throughout our whole lives. So we're not just confined to that that time period at the end where we now have all these wise thoughts of how to live, right? So that's kind of what it's what it's really been about is kind of condensing all of these things that these people have have told me, have talked about, have shared. Uh, and what's been important to them now that they're, you know, given kind of a an end date, really. This girl from Southern California ventures to the Midwest, to Notre Dame, Indiana. And yep. in those four years you were there is when Dreamcatchers really started to, I guess, formulate or maybe crystallize would be a good word. I mean, did you ever envision back then during your undergrad days where you'd be today with this or, and if you did, that's great. And if you could kind of talk about that evolution, but even the opposite, if you didn't anticipate that, how did it evolve into this? Yeah, really, honestly, no. I When I first started Dreamcatchers, I really never thought it would be anything more than a club, number one in my high school. And then when I went to college, when I went to Notre Dame, I would do the club again in college, but I never really saw it going beyond that really. Uh, and it wasn't until my experience with the Hesper Yusko Scholars Program at Notre Dame that we were encouraged to do a service experience for a summer. And that's when I came up with the concept of trying to expand dream catchers. Um, and that was when I embarked on, with another student, we embarked on a trip across the US. We stopped in seven states and just wanted to see if this was something that people would take on. And it ended up being hugely successful. And we had tons of new clubs start up that summer. And so it showed me that there was this opportunity for dream catchers to grow and there was interest for it. And so that's when it started to hit me that like, we could be a little bit bigger than just clubs that I've started at my schools. And uh, yeah, it's been incredible to see the response and and other students being interested in this. So how do you find new be it clubs or, or different locations where you expand? It's really, it, it's one of many ways, really. Uh, a lot of times students will hear about Dreamcatchers through a friend or a cousin or someone who already has a club and they'll tell them about it. It's a lot of word of mouth. 
And it's a lot, some come from social media. We have some pretty active social media platforms that they hear about it on and want to start chapters. I also speak at a lot of youth leadership conferences, seminars, things like that, where I can target, you know, high school, college students that might be interested in this as a service opportunity. And that's how we got a lot of interest as well. Um, So it's, yeah, it's a lot of kind of indirect marketing, I guess, uh, in a sense to find students that this really speaks to because it isn't, it isn't for everyone. It's, it's a specific type of person who wants to, you know, be around people uh, of this generation or of this phase of life. And it can be heavier really to, to know that they are close to the end. And so we really look for students who have that maturity and have that interest in doing something incredible for someone at the, um, basically kind of like a grand finale. You don't find many people, especially, you know, at, at your point in life that have found that great mixture to, to marry the vocation with your advocation, which to me is really appealing. I, I think for you, I think it's great. And I wish everybody had that opportunity. Do you envision this continuing? I mean, is this is this is your lifelong passion, do you think? You know, I hope that it continues forever. I really do. Uh, whether or not I'm running it, that's that's another question. I think, you know, every organization, everything can benefit from turnover and leadership, right? To get new ideas, mm-hmm. fresh ideas. So uh, I've I've run it for so long and and we've had, you know, other other leaders along the way, and we have volunteer leadership team, et cetera, and people bring in new ideas. But yeah, I really do. I really do hope that Dreamcatchers lasts far beyond me, and I that we can find new leadership too to to take over at some point, just to get that fresh perspective. Um, I, of course, will always be involved as long as I possibly can, because uh, it's my my baby, my child. But uh, I really am passionate about speaking and sharing messages that way, especially at this point where I've learned a lot from Dreamcatchers, and I I would love to, you know, continue to spread those learnings and and others too. So that's that's really my dream. <laughs> and talking like you just said about these learnings, and, and this is the way I look at it, it's kind of taking a sheet of paper and drawing a, a distinct line down the middle of it, because part of what I've heard is that you've got tremendous learnings that in talking to people, they have great stories. And everybody I always says has a great story to tell. And, and you're like engaged truly with people at a great time of their life, in my opinion. Um, the other part, though, is for our listeners today, can you share like what you've learned in regard to the business side of this that other people could take from it? Yeah, I've definitely learned a lot. Um, so one of my majors at Notre Dame was entrepreneurship, and I learned a lot from that. But also, I feel like you know a lot of what you learn in entrepreneurship is by doing and by and by experiencing it yourself, and so. Running a nonprofit ha- is, you know, has its own unique set of challenges versus being a for-profit business because you're always fundraising, you're always looking for money, just similar to a startup phase of business, right? Looking for investors, looking for funding, um, but having to be on that constant cycle of fundraising and, you know, finding ways to sustain yourself as a nonprofit has been a huge learning experience for me, and also, you know, running. An organization that's that's really powered by students. That's been a big learning experience because, you know, there's a lot of turnover with students when they graduate, when they move on, finding successors for their club, having that succession plan set up. 
and us figuring out how we can best support that and help support students who have a million other things going on, but yet want to commit some of their time to dream catchers. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, it, the learnings on that side have been really endless and very much ongoing. Uh, I think, especially as we grow bigger and, you know, involve more people and involve more uh, communities, it's, it's always going to be, um, there's always going to be different challenges to overcome. And, but it has been, you know, similar to a business in that you have to figure out the basics of how to spread your message concisely and do all of the things that, that businesses also need to know. So it's been, it's been a lot. (laughs) What would you tell your college self knowing what you know today? I think I would tell my college self to enlist as many helpers as possible early on, get people invested in the mission early on, either in like a board of directors capacity, a volunteer leadership team capacity. I started our volunteer executive leadership team maybe only a few years ago. And I think that's been one of the biggest things that's helped us. So I would say really just enlist help early and get and find ways to get people to really commit um, so that they're they're invested in the growth of Dreamcatchers as well, because you can't do it alone. <laughs> you went through an entrepreneurial program and you started your own business. You, you've had, from my view, remarkable success in that you've been, it's been very fulfilling for you. But, you know, for people who, who haven't followed that same path, what do you think holds people back? I think probably, you know, not being able to land on something that they're passionate enough about, or it could be the, the really the insecurity of starting something of your own or pursuing something of your own versus going into an already created system of like a corporate job or any other job really that you kind of just come into and and give your skills to. I think that's probably, that holds back a lot of people because there is a lot of risk uh, in that. And it can be scary when you don't know, you know, maybe if you're going to have a paycheck next month, right? Or if you're going to be able to continue this. And if, I mean, there's all this, there's so many statistics about how many businesses fail every year. And I think that is, makes it really scary for a lot of people and holds them back from even trying to start because you think you're destined for failure. I would think that that would okay. be the reason. So switching gears a little bit to talk a little bit about leadership. Is there a person that, that really had an impact on you from a leadership perspective? And how did that person impact you? What was the, was there a, a specific instance or situation you can share? I think a really influential person in that regard to me was Professor Buttigieg in the Hesburgh Yusko Scholars Program. He was our advisor um, back when I got when I first started at Notre Dame. And he just had this really beautiful way of making everyone feel like their passion and their service and their their work was so important and so, so inspiring. And he just made you like, you'd go into his office and he would just, you would leave there just more driven than ever to continue. And 
feeling like you're on the right path. And sometimes that's really what you need from a leader, right? Is is that encouragement and that feeling of being so, you know, so sure that you're doing what you should be doing. And he was so good at that. <laughs> do you think you picked up any of those traits? I hope so. I really do. Because I think of him often and it is a challenge as a leader to figure out, especially early on when I was first leading my dream catchers clubs, it's hard to figure out how to lead people and nurture them to do the service and, and do what what you're hoping that they, that they can. And so he really showed me the power of nurturing and inspiring and giving people that insight. I hope I do that. I think I, I keep him in the back of my mind to remember that. <laughs> so now for you, what do you do to continue to grow and and not grow the foundation, but just you, what are you doing to continue to grow and to learn and to you know make a bigger impact? I think really meeting and talking to as many people in varied with varied experiences, varied backgrounds. I'm always learning from people that I meet. Uh, like last weekend, I was presenting at a seminar with another nonprofit leader and just hearing her talk and hearing her experiences, I feel like I was just blown away with you know, how much she's done that we haven't tried yet or that type of thing where it really, you come away with with different knowledge and experiences to to come off of. So I think really just meeting as many people that are in similar positions. And then, and then of course, educating, I'm getting my master's in gerontology at USC right now. And, uh, that's been really, that's been really cool. Cause that's a kind of a different side of learning, right. Versus actually running dream catchers. I kind of get to see all of the theory and the thought that goes into a lot of the ways that, um, and how other people in, on, in this similar industry and path operate and what they're doing. Um, so I try and fill my fill my schedule with as much of that as possible too. So for for us less educated people, what's gerontology? Yes, gerontology. I know I always forget. Sometimes I need to clarify that, but it's the study of aging, basically. Caitlin, were you pulled into that because of Dreamcatchers and and hospice? And I realize that hospice isn't defined by age because any person can be in hospice, but you know, generally, end of life is is later in mm-hmm. terms of years. Is that how you got pulled into this or no? It is. I shouldn't say pulled in, in a, but we're attracted to it. Yeah, it is in a sense, definitely. I also um, was matched with a mentor in the middle of COVID who has really inspired me. He's, his name's Ken Dykewald, and he's a real influencer in the aging world. And hearing him talk about the impact that he's made in this field and that that is still to be made. <laughs> it made me really excited about the field of aging. And so he encouraged me to look into that. I did. I found some courses that I thought were very interesting. And so it felt very much relevant to the work that we do with dream catchers and specifically studying the older generations that we typically deal with. Um, and so that's kind of how I got pulled in, if you will. But no, I very much enjoy the information and it's so it's so applicable to that's really the cool part for me is that it's applicable to all of us, right? We are all aging at every minute of our lives. And so every, everything that I learn is just exceptionally relevant and I can apply it in my own life. That's fantastic. Congratulations for doing that. 
Um, Thank you. I want to go back to, and talk about something you mentioned uh, a few moments ago. Um, so you, you wrote a book and it deals with millennials. Can you talk about that just a little bit? You mentioned kind of briefly, but maybe just go into a little bit more detail and in, in what prompted you to put it together and kind of what you learned from it. So I think it was when I was thinking about how I could make speaking a career. So I wrote this I wrote this very uh, fresh out of college <laughs> when millennials were the hot topic. And I just was seeing all over media, all over the news that, you know, millennials are portrayed in such a negative light a lot of times. And it tends to happen with younger generations, I've noticed. And so I started looking into, you know, how I could help change that narrative. And so there weren't a lot of books or really information in general about millennials that were actually written by millennials. They were always written by other generations. And so I felt like it was a needed area uh, where I could I could put my own thoughts into the world <laughs> as far as my own generation and hopefully get people to kind of change their stereotypical thoughts they might have about millennials specifically and and then hope to expand that beyond millennials and really just eliminate generational stereotypes that are harmful uh, overall, really. Interesting. Interesting. You want to give a little plug in, name your book? Oh, sure. <laughs> it's how to attract millennials to your workplace and actually keep us. And keep them. But, yes. Yeah. It's important. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Next, I want to talk a little bit about IBC. And for IBC, just more for the people listening, you know, our mission is to create a world where the business community acts as a principled force for common good globally. So in real simple words, to me, it's how we can do things positively, correctly, ethically, and be successful, which I don't think is that hard to do. And now for you, can you just give your thoughts on on that? I mean, because what you do, what you do, I, it's fantastic. I mean, it's tremendous, but just kind of in the realm of what IBC is trying to do, how you see yourself integrated with that. Yeah, I think, I mean, the mission is so is so straightforward, yet it feels like not a lot of businesses take it to heart. And so I think going forward with this, this concept of, you know, business for good, really, is something that I think everyone can incorporate, whether or not, I mean, sure, we're a nonprofit, like that's kind of a given in what we do. But I really do think that every business has that opportunity, whether it's a social enterprise, it's a social entrepreneurship venture, social venture, um, or really anything, you know, there's always that opportunity to incorporate making the world a better place. And there's been so many companies and corporations and organizations that have done that so successfully. And um, yeah, it's it's really just needed. <laughs> I, I think that everyone needs to be thinking about that if they're um, thinking about a business to start, you know, why not make some part of it a force for sure. good? So what would you say to the class of 2021 college graduates who have this, you know, great ambition, desire to go out and make an impact in, on the world, in the world, but don't know where to start? I think I would say to really think about what catches your eye where you see a hole. I think really a lot of good, a lot of new ideas that are 
for positive social change or whatever it might be stem from us just noticing things in our everyday life. And for me, that was seeing that there weren't a lot of young people volunteering with hospice or that a lot of these people at the at, of these older generations were very much alone or not visited often. So if you can see any sort of hole and maybe it keeps coming back to you, maybe you, you know, you see all of these plastic straws being thrown away. I'm using this example because I just met the woman who did something about that. But uh, something like that where it's like a thorn in your side, as she called it, and and you happen to see it occasionally, I think that's a great place to start and figure out either whether that means starting something that doesn't exist and that you could be a part of or joining forces with someone who's already doing something similar or finding out where you can make that difference based on just your observations in everyday life and what you feel like is missing because there's so much work that needs to be done in this world. So um, really wherever you can start and don't try and solve it all, right? I mean, every little thing we can do is is beneficial, but I think we sometimes get caught up in like, oh my gosh, there's so many problems. Like how can I possibly address them all? That's great. Thank you. Now just kind of big picture, general, more general questions. What do you think or what do you believe it takes to, for a person to have a great and meaningful life? That's a big question. <laughs> I think having purpose, I feel like, is such an important factor in having a great life, especially just from, your, from a personal perspective. I think purpose is a big one. Um, having a strong purpose, having, having something that you stand for, um, or work towards, you know, having a meaningful life, it doesn't need to mean that you're some famous entrepreneur or business person or celebrity, but really it's whatever you're doing to make a small mark on your community, on the world that you interact with. I think that makes it meaningful. And if everyone can have that level of a meaningful life, our world would be a way better place. <laughs> I think so. So, yeah. so far in, in, in your short time here on earth, what are you most proud of? I think I'm most proud of, well, what Dreamcatchers has become. I'm of course, extremely proud of. I really, it just makes me so happy and almost tearful to see new students come in and start chapters of their own and impact their own communities and tell those stories and be impacted by that. So I think all the lives that that so many students are changing is really what I'm most proud of and seeing all these intergenerational relationships come about from from those chapters of Dreamcatchers. So really just having other people pick up on the passion that I that I had when I was 15 and have other people relate to that uh, and grow it. It's probably my proudest thing. So not that you have a lot of free time, but <laughs> any good books you've read lately? Oh, I've read a really good book, When Breath Becomes Air. Have you heard of that one? I've heard of it, but I don't know much about it. What's it about? By Paul... Kalanithi, oh, I'm going to say that wrong, but um, When Breath Becomes Air, beautiful book about a doctor who was diagnosed with a terminal illness right when he hit like his prime of being a doctor. Wow. And he just talks about the process of dying 
and how he went through it and how he lived his life at the end. And it was really, really powerful. And I was, yes, I recommend that to everyone. It really just changes your perspective on life because he had been working so, so hard, spending no time with friends or family for to reach this point in his career. And then as soon as he reached that point, he got sick. And so he never got to enjoy it. So it really just kind of puts into perspective how many of us live our lives and how maybe we can live a more meaningful life right away. So my last question, if, if you were to receive $100 million today, what would you do tomorrow, the day after, the following month? In essence, what would you do the rest of your life? Oh, my goodness. I always say, like, it would just be such a dream to have, like, change in one of the – in one, like, Elon Musk's pocket, you know? Like, a million dollars is like a penny for some of these people, and that would just change the life of dream catchers. <laughs> We're obviously a nonprofit, and we need – help. We need staff and we need to hire people. And so I would put, well, the first day I might kind of just chill and be excited, maybe go to a nice dinner. (laughs) But then, (laughs) then I would put a majority, I feel like, into Dreamcatchers, hire the entire team that we have always dreamed of having, pay our volunteers who have been working so hard for us for so long, and really just grow the organization. And then I'd probably buy my parents something nice because they've been so supportive of me. That's great. Thank you. And Kaylin, I really appreciate your time today. This is fantastic. I love learning about you, learning about Dreamcatchers. Um, I wish you the greatest successes moving forward. And if, if IBC can help you at all, please, please let us know. But thank you very, very much. Thank you. This was so much fun. Thanks for taking the time. And it was it was an honor to be on. <laughs> You're more than welcome. Have a great day. Thanks. You too. Thank you. Thank you for listening today to Continuum, the IBC's podcast series. If you enjoyed our conversation, please subscribe so you don't miss our next episode. And for more information about the IBC, visit our website at ouribc.com. That's just O U R I B C.com. Thanks.